The story we're going to look at today is all based around that word of faithfulness. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, uh, be in John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you have one. That is our best gift to you. Um, it's right outside. There's a stack of Bibles outside in the lobby, kind of across from where the crumble cookies are. I know you found the crumble cookies. So across from the crumble cookies, you're going to see a stack of Bibles. Make sure that you've got one for you. Write your name in it. Use it, read it, bring it with you, not just on Sundays, but use it throughout the week. In John chapter 2, we're going to get an interesting story here. And what I want you to look at is how does faithfulness show up in this story? What does faithfulness look like from Jesus? Because throughout the Gospels, specifically in the Gospel of John, we've been looking at Jesus' interactions with other people. How did Jesus interact with people? So that will teach us how can we know Jesus a little bit more so that we can walk a little bit closer to him. That's the whole goal. How do we know a little bit more about Jesus so that we can walk a little bit closer to him? So in Jesus' interaction in this story, look for his faithfulness, how Jesus was constant and consistent and how he showed up, but also pay attention to the faithfulness of those around him. How did other people portray and show faithfulness? Because here's what's going to happen, and this happens in our lives as well. The more we recognize the faithfulness of God, our faith begins to grow. And when our faith begins to grow, guess what we do? We act more faithfully. We live out faithfulness. And then it progresses and it continues to be a cycle where then we learn more and we understand more of God's faithfulness, which grows our faith which helps us live each day more faithfully. So look for faithful, look for the faithfulness of Jesus and those that he interacts with. That's the word today that I want on your, in your head and on your heart as we go through this morning. John chapter two, starting in verse one, as we go through the story, we're gonna break it up into about three different sections, read it, talk about it, so we again can see the faithfulness of Jesus and those around him. Chapter two, verse one. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, such a mom thing to do is to tell people things, told him they have no more wine. Verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come, which through a child's lens is really saying, do I have to, mom? That's basically what Jesus is getting at. Verse five, she totally ignores what he said, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, first of all, you just gotta pay attention and love the mother and son relationship between Mary and Jesus. Again, Jesus, completely perfect, completely sinless, fully God and also fully human. And he has a very real relationship with his mom because this is exactly what moms do. There's a problem. I need you to fix this. Go clean your room right now. Jesus, you're here. I know what you can do, so here's what you're going to do. She tells the Son of God what he's about to do. And then he kind of pushes back, like, hey, it's not my time. And in perfect motherly fashion says, no, you're going to go ahead and do this. <laughs> so you got to love this relationship between Mary and her son, Jesus. But what I want you to pay attention to is what Mary brings up to Jesus. She says, they have no more wine, period. That's it. All she's doing is making an observation and giving it to Jesus. She's recognizing the problem and then telling Jesus about the problem. What we tend to do 
is we would go, if maybe we were in Mary's shoes, we would say, Jesus, they have no more wine, so here's what I need you to do about it. Jesus, they have no more wine, so here's how I need you to fix it. Jesus, they have no more wine, there's the problem, but I'm gonna go ahead and give you the solution so you know exactly what to do. But Mary doesn't do that. She tells him the problem, and that's it. I think the same can be true for us. Jesus was told the problem, not the solution. In our relationship with him, let's do the same thing. Tell Jesus your problems and don't have the burden and the pressure of trying to come up with a solution. Tell him the problem, period. We should not have the burden of trying to figure out the solution, the pressure of trying to know the solution, or the arrogance to think we actually have the solution. Jesus was told the problem, not the solution. There's no, and here's what I need you to do. Along with that problem, notice the type of problem this was. This was not. We're used to these life and death scenarios that is brought to Jesus' feet. Keep reading through the Gospel of John like we're doing together as a church, and you're going to see situation and scenarios where somebody runs up to Jesus saying, hurry, 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 someone's about to die. My child is ill. This person needs you right now. And it really does feel, and in many cases is, a life and death situation. The problem that Mary brings to Jesus is not life and death. It's a hurt reputation at best if Jesus does nothing. And I love that this was his first miracle because it shows us and proves to us that nothing is too small for Jesus. Oftentimes we, we feel like, oh man, we, we only gotta bring Jesus the really, really big things. I don't wanna burden Jesus with my small problems. But the very first miracle, the problem that he solved was a personal problem, that's it. Nothing's too big, we know that, we love preaching about that, nothing's impossible for him, but what about the small things? What about the small things that you care about and therefore he cares about? Some of you are familiar with this passage out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse seven says this, give all your worries and cares to God, notice why, for he cares about you. He cares about you. So those tiny problems that you're wrestling with and dealing with and, and struggling through, he cares about those because he cares about you. So just like Mary, we can bring not just our big problems, but our small problems to Jesus. But when we do, we bring a problem and not the solution. So for you, maybe that is just, Jesus, I'm tired, period. Jesus, I'm worn out period. Jesus, the bills are starting to stack up, period. Jesus, I have a lot of bitterness and anger in my heart, period. Jesus, I'm trying to figure out what's best, period. Jesus, there's some relationships at work that are just toxic and they're hurting me, period. Whatever problems, whatever struggles, whatever difficulties you're facing, big or small, would you begin to bring him your problems and not the solution? Trust him enough that he knows what's best and he knows how to solve the problems. So we bring the problems. He takes care of the solution. Verse six, so here's his solution. Verse six, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons 
Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. Maybe the most important line of this story. So the servants followed his instructions. Like that's part of faithfulness is to follow the instructions. The servants, again, they're already working at the wedding party. They're already serving the guests at this wedding party. And then Jesus shows up and gives them another job to do. And they followed his instructions. Now you gotta think about what's actually being asked of them because those instructions that they followed were not easy instructions to follow. They were very, very difficult. Again, we're told that they were six of these massive stone water jars, each holding between 20 and 30 gallons. So let's go on the high side. Let's say about 30 gallons, do the math, six jars, 30 gallons each. That's 180 gallons of water to be filled. That's over 1,500 pounds of water that these servants are now given the task to fill in. That's hard work. It is not just go over and turn on the faucet and let them fill up. They are manually filling up 180 gallons of water on top of everything else they had to do for this wedding party. That's hard work. That's difficult work. And to make it even more difficult, I would say it's not rewarding work, right? We wanna see the fruits of our labor. We wanna do things that matter. We wanna help in a way that make a difference. And so here Jesus says, yeah, we're gonna make some more wine, but I need you to first fill up 180 gallons of water. And I'm thinking these servants had to in their minds think, A, that's a really hard job to do. B, how is that gonna help our problem again? Like, I don't mind doing the work if I know that it's gonna help with the solution. But I don't wanna do the hard work if it doesn't make any sense. Jesus, 180 gallons of water? Do you know what you're asking? What's the point? How is this going to actually help? Maybe those phrases hit home. Now, let me ask you a rhetorical question, and let's see if we can maybe figure out the answer. Rhetorical question. At what point did the miracle actually happen? I mean, officially happen. What was the moment, when was the moment where that water officially switched over and became wine? Maybe it was from the very first pour. Six huge water jugs from the very first gallon that would have been poured in. Maybe in that moment, the servant saw that it was now turned to wine. Maybe it happened slowly over time. The more they filled the six water jars, the more it became more and more and more like wine. Maybe it was when they finished the task, finished the job. They finally got all 180 gallons filled. And as soon as they poured in that last drop, then miraculously and instantly, all six water jar jars were now turned to wine. Maybe it was the moment they dipped out that first wine glass, as Jesus instructed. And as they poured out of the jars and into the wine glass, maybe then they realized, wow, it went from water to wine in that one pour. Maybe it happened. Maybe the wine glass was still filled with water. But as they walked to the master of ceremonies on the way to give him the glass, maybe it turned into wine on the way. Maybe it happened in that final moment when the master of ceremonies was handed a glass that technically was water, but the moment it hit his lips, it turned into wine. It was the best wine he'd ever tasted. At what point? 
When did the miracle actually happen? When did the water officially turn to wine? We have no idea. No clue whatsoever. I don't know and you don't know. You might have an idea. You might have an educated guess, but none of us know because we're not told. And I think there's a good lesson there. Could you imagine these servants, 180 gallons of water pouring and pouring and pouring. At some point, someone had to ask, how much longer? Do you have any wine in yours yet? Nope, me neither. When is this gonna actually happen? When is this actually going to change? When is the miracle going to take place? How much longer until this works? How much more do we have to wait? When is Jesus gonna make good on his promise? That sounds like something we would say. I'm doing the faithful work. I'm pouring and pouring, I'm pouring. I don't have much left, but I'm still pouring. So Jesus, when are you gonna show up? When is the miracle gonna happen? When is change gonna happen? How much longer until it happens? My answer for you is I don't know, but keep filling up water jars. I don't know how long it's gonna take, but stay the course and remain faithful. I don't know how long it's gonna take, but don't give up. Stay faithful. See, in order for this miracle to work, it required two things. The miracle happened because of the power of Jesus and the faithfulness of the servants. Both had to be present. Just filling up water jars wouldn't do a thing. But when you add the power of Jesus and his instructions, all of a sudden, that faithfulness of Jesus tied to the faithfulness of the servants allowed there to be a miracle. The power of Jesus and the faithfulness of the servants. What would have happened if those servants got halfway through and they're like, this just isn't working, it's not worth it anymore. We got other things we've got to take care of and do. This, this nutcase over here is telling us to keep filling water jars. What happens if they stopped at gallon 90? What if they made it all the way towards the end and they're at gallon 179 and that's it, I just can't do it anymore, I gotta walk away. Would the miracle have happened? I don't know. But I know the miracle required the power of Jesus and the faithfulness of the servants. They kept pouring even when they didn't know how much longer it would take. Now, I can't read this story without thinking about something that happens, I mean, truly every single day in our house. So parents, you'll understand this, that bedtime routines really start the moment they get home from school. The second they get home, it's like, all right, kids, in five hours, we are going to be going to sleep. So just prepare yourself. I know it's been the same in the past. It's still happening today. So we have to begin to prep them way in advance that a bedtime is going to happen. And then we go through dinner and then we start actually going through the bedtime routine of the prayers and the reading books and the brushing your teeth. But I don't believe you brush your teeth so now I have to smell your teeth and then you're gonna go brush your teeth again. Like this whole thing, right? We all understand the bedtime routine. And so Becky and I will spend hours on this bedtime routine. We get them all in bed, we're all ready to go. Becky and I start walking out of the room until we hear a mom, dad, walk back into the bedroom. Yes, wonderful child, how else can I serve you today? <laughs> and then each of my kids will no doubt, I'm not making it up, it even happened last night. 
I need a glass of water with ice. Now, I'm not a doctor. I am not a nurse. I have no medical knowledge whatsoever. So somebody might have to help me out. But from my experience as a parent, something medically happens at sundown that causes children under the age of 15 to become severely dehydrated every single night at bedtime. So I don't know what the cause is. I don't know what's really happening, but they cannot fathom going one more moment without a drop of water. So even last night, I go downstairs getting ice. I get the cup of water and I come back upstairs. So I did some more math. We have three kids and every single night they're asking for a glass of water. So Becky and I will go downstairs. Let's just say that glass of water is about 12 ounces. Three kids a 12-ounce glass of water over the course of an entire year, Becky and I will pour 103 gallons of water for bedtime in a given year. That doesn't count all the other pours throughout the day. But at least for bedtime, 103 gallons. And I had myself even thinking this last night, why am I still doing this? Like, what's the point? Is this helping? Is this doing anything good? Can't I just stop? What's the point of doing this again and again and again and again and again? To answer that, let me show you Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let's read this one together. I think this is going to be helpful. Let's read this together. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, keep that up there just for a second. Let me point out a couple things. When is this promise told will happen? Like, what's the time frame? When's it gonna actually happen? When's it gonna make a difference? When are we gonna get the blessing? When are we gonna see the change? What's the time frame? At the right time. What a terrible explanation. I mean, that's the equivalent of the kids asking how much longer. And then your answer is soon, at just the right time. <laughs> Are we there yet? No, but we're closer than we were the last time you asked me. That's what this sounds like, doesn't it? So let's not get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time. It's kind of hard to say that, isn't it? But can we trust the faithfulness of God to say, no, I am gonna trust your timing. I don't have the best timing. You have the best timing. So I'm going to trust in you. Is the good that you're doing, is every single cup that you're filling up, every single pour that you're making, is it doing something? The answer is yes. When's it gonna pay off? When are you gonna see the reward? When are you gonna see the blessing? At just the right time. I don't know, but keep filling up the water jars. Now there is a condition. What was the condition? If what? You don't give up. If you don't quit. Again, if those servants stopped at gallon 179, would the miracle have happened? I don't know, but I know the miracle required the power of Jesus and the faithfulness of the servants. Don't stop. Keep pouring. When's it going to change? When's the miracle going to happen? I don't know, but keep filling the water jars. Verse 9, here's the end of the story. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, Though, of course, the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. 
A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, his first miracle, and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his family, with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. I think this is my favorite part of the story. There's one line in here that is my favorite of all else, and it's actually put in parentheses. It's that line, well, of course, the servants knew. Right? Nobody else knew what had happened. Nobody else knew about this miracle, though, of course, I mean, the servants knew. They just poured 180 gallons of it. Of course they knew. They were the ones tasked with doing the hard work. They're the ones that walked the glass to the master of ceremony. So, of course, nobody else knew. But, of course, the servants knew where it had come from. See, the servants saw a miracle no one else did. Not the master of ceremonies, not the bride, not the groom, not the wedding party, not everybody else participating at the celebration, just the servants and his disciples. No one else saw the miracle. It was just the servants. The servants were not invited to the party. They were not invited to participate in the celebration. Nobody was celebrating them. They were there to work. They were only at that party because they were to serve. And if I could maybe try to put myself in their shoes for this moment, and I think you would agree with me that I would imagine there would have been moments where they were sitting in the back of the kitchen, sitting in the back of the room as they waited the tables, and they would look through and see all the people laughing and dancing and celebrating and having such a great time while we're over here working. There had to have been the thought of, I wish I was them. I wish I was sitting at that table. I wish I was invited to that. I wish my life looked like that. I wish I had that life. But let me just point out, at the end of the party, when everybody at the party went home, they were just talking about a great party. When the servants went home, they were talking about Jesus, that they saw him do the impossible. And they didn't just see it, they got to be part of it. They have a very different story to tell than the people sitting at that table. But we do that, don't we? I wish I was there. Can I lean in for a second? We do it a little bit differently. We do it by doing this. We scroll, don't we? Oh, I wish I had that life. Oh, I wish we could go there. Oh, I wish I had that money. Oh, I wish I could do this. Man, my life would be so much better if I was like that. And we look through the window of a screen and somebody else is probably fake life, wishing our life was that. Stop. Stop comparing. Stop scrolling. Stop comparing. Because God wants to do something in you and with you where you are. He chose to do a miracle with a bunch of servants, not a bunch of people sitting at tables for a party. So next time you feel overwhelmed with the work that you have to do, whether that's family work, community work, job work, and you start thinking, I wish my life was, would you open your eyes just a little bit more? It's hard work being faithful. But when you add the power of Jesus to it, you'll see miracles. And no one else is going to see them. 
But at the end of the day, you're going to go home talking about what Jesus did in you and through you and around you. And that's a much better story to be able to tell. The other part of the servants and what they saw and what they were part of, so they, weren't un, they were not invited to the party to participate. And as far as we know, they never got to taste the wine. They just poured 180 gallons of water, watched Jesus turn it from water to wine, handed it over to the wedding party. But as far as we know, they never got to experience it. They never got to taste it. I say that because oftentimes the miracles that Jesus desires to do in you and through you is not actually for you. It's not for our benefit often. The miracle that Jesus did through the servants was not for them. It did not benefit the servants whatsoever. In fact, it actually caused them more work. It was for someone else. So as you're pouring and pouring and pouring, wondering how much longer and when is it gonna change and when is it gonna matter and when is it gonna make a difference, I don't know, but keep pouring. And as the servant, the faithful servant of God, you will see him do things that no one else will see. And it might not be for you, but that's kind of the job of a servant, isn't it? A faithful servant will see God do things that no one else will see. So I'm gonna put up two questions. Let me kind of read them. Then let me explain what I want you to do with them. And just as a heads up, some of these questions might not be all warm and fuzzy that you're hoping for on a Mother's Day. Um, I lead a men's Bible study on Wednesday mornings at 7.30, and, and I tell the guys often, it's like, hey, this is gonna be something we're gonna wrestle with. And wrestling, I tell them all the time, is super important because when you wrestle, you actually engage a lot more, don't you? When you're wrestling, you're involved a lot more. So when you wrestle with God, when you're wrestling through scripture, that's a great thing because it moves you from inactive to active, from passive to engaged. So hopefully these two might help you with that. Two questions, let me read them, I'll explain them. First question, what do you need to keep doing that you feel like stopping? Second is kind of the opposite of that. What have you stopped that you need to start again? Here's what I'm looking for on that first one. Right? There's most likely some aspect of your life right now where you are just kind of done. Where you are asking maybe those questions the servants ask, like, how much longer? How many more pours do we need to do? I'm not seeing anything change yet. It's not really making a difference. So how much longer are we going to have to do this? What do, you, what do you need to keep doing even though you're ready to throw in the towel? What do you need to keep being faithful with and in even though you're ready to call it quits? What do you need to keep doing even though you're ready to stop? Second question, what have you stopped that you need to start again? We are all very busy. We even read in Mark 6 at the beginning of service today, yes, you need some rest, but I'm pretty convinced that doesn't mean removing like more things. So it's not like I'm so busy, I need to like say no to 100 more things. Like, sure, we're gonna have the priority conversation, but I'm pretty convinced that the things we quit are usually the most important things, right? Because we spin these other plates that are just easier, but they don't matter as much. So there's probably some things, me included, that we've stopped doing because the less important are getting spun some more. What have you stopped that you really need to be faithful with and jump back in? Maybe you quit on poor 173. You need to pick up the bucket. You need to start pouring again. Pick up where you left off. Faithfulness 
is constant. It's continued. It's consistency. Faithfulness is filling up water jars even when you don't see wine yet. Faithfulness is filling up water jars when nobody else is watching. Faithfulness is filling up water jars when it doesn't seem like it's making a difference. Faithfulness is filling up those water jars even when you are exhausted, mentally, physically, spiritually. Faithfulness is filling up those water jars even if it's not going to benefit you. So just like Galatians, keep going. Don't stop. Don't quit. Remain faithful because of Jesus's faithfulness. May we continue to be faithful. So parents, let me talk to you just for a quick second. Don't stop. Stay faithful. Keep getting your kid the cup of water at night. (laughs) Keep changing diapers. Keep getting woken up at night and walking them back to bed. Keep sitting in car line. Keep helping with homework. Keep protecting them. Keep playing with them. Keep teaching them the truth that's found in God's word. Keep reading with them. Keep laughing with them. Keep disciplining them. Keep praying for them and with them and over them. Keep celebrating them. Keep talking with them. Keep involving them. Keep listening to them. Don't quit. Remain faithful. Well, for how much longer? I don't know. Well, when's it going to change? When are they going to grow up? I don't know. But keep filling the water jars. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the faithfulness that you have for us, a faithfulness that we can truly never, never comprehend. You are faithful to us for no other reason that we are your children. You call us children of God. And you love us not because we earn it. You give us grace not because we deserve it. But you love us so much that you choose to give us life. And all you ask in return is our heart. So today, may through our faithfulness, not our perfection, but through our faithfulness, may we give you our heart. May we trust you with all of our problems without the pressure or the arrogance of bringing a solution. May we recognize that you are the one that does miracles. Our call is to just be faithful servants along the way. And may we remember you have given us the life that we have for a reason. And you will use us and you will do miracles in us and through us and around us. So may we not wish we were somebody else. We are yours and that is enough. We trust you. We put our hope in you. We put our faith in you as we walk every day with faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.